the cycling podcast powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello and joining you unusually this week from the heartlands, my heartlands, that's to say the Midlands of England where I'm enjoying some family time post-Christmas. My name is Daniel Freeber and I'm the host of this week's episode of the Cycling Podcast in which we're going to gaze into our crystal balls, engage in a bit of light tarot card reading and irresponsibly speculate about things that might happen in 2023 with the help of a few good friends and my partners in prognosticating today, whom we're going to meet without too much further ado. Before I introduce them, I should also start by just saying that I hope you all had an excellent Christmas and I will wish you a happy new year, very happy new year. I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, might be before new year, might be after new year, but in any case, I hope you have a lovely New Year's Eve and lovely 2023. So, the guests joining me from Pietrasanta in Tuscany, where I read in the local paper the other day, 25 tractors were needed to erect the town Christmas tree. It's a man who requires no tinsel or baubles for decoration and whose wisdom is evergreen. God forbid anyone tried to tear him down before the 6th of January. He spent most of Christmas exchanging puerile TikTok and Instagram messages or videos of people imitating Italian regional accents with me. It's the Sometime Cycling Podcast. Attack Dog, the Great Dane with the fluffy white cat. It's Brian Nygaard. I believe the cat's in attendance today, Brian. Yeah, he is actually. He, uh, well, you'll, you'll get the point later on, but there's a reason why I brought him on the podcast today. For the, for the acoustics, is it not? Yes, it's, that's what it's we discussed. For the acoustics, just to make <laughs> it sound a bit more, you know, just to get a bit more saturated. Brian is, in fact, coming from coming to us from inside his cat this afternoon <laughs> <laughs> and brian how was your christmas it was it was fine very very easy going uh i'm, I'm working I'm, i can't really reveal what it is but i'm working on a, on a different project at the moment and that's taken quite a bit of my time i've also i'm not going to bore you with the details i've joined the gym and i'm not um I've seen live footage yeah, of this, yeah, dread, live dreadful. evidence of this gym membership. Well, yeah. it's dreadful, but it's also, it, it bears some relevance to the podcast because there's, uh, it, as, as it stands, I'm, I'm going to do the entire Giro with you, so I, I better get a head start on my calorie count. <laughs> Good luck with that. Brian, joining us today for the first time in a while from his motherland, aka Michigan, more precisely Traverse City, where the main headline on the front <laughs> page of the local paper the record eagle this morning was i'm reading verbatim office (laughs) prepares for changes i didn't actually read any further as i'd rather cling to the idea that the whole half page piece was about chuck the stationary clerk rearranging his pencil drawer um where were we yes he's a former u.s national road race winner a former tour de swiss stage winner he rides for AG2 Citroën, AG2 Citroën. There's no New Year's Day to celebrate, at least not for another few hours. No chocolate-covered candy hearts to give away. Certainly no first of spring, no song to sing. In fact, he's just another ordinary podcast day, but we just called to say we love him. It's the Motel hey Maestro. It's Larry <laughs> Warbass. And that was yet another Stevie Wonder reference. Larry, you are in Traverse City. You've been on your skis. You've been on your, I think you've been on snowshoes. Have you not? The winter activities and then uh, a bit of Zwift as well. So try to stay fit. 
how is the odds with thing going? Because I think I saw you also, this was on social media as well, um, you were talking about how, how hard you're finding your re-immersion into the world of Zwift. You haven't been doing so much Swift of late and you, you've had to resort to that, revert to that in the last few days. And it's been tough. Yeah, I mean, I like Zwift and it's it's really good. It gets like the job done and, and you can train really specifically and you can train well. It's just like, you know, doing more than like two hours on the trainer and it's pretty hard. So uh, yeah, just uh, mentally can, can can get mentally fatiguing. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I, I needed to tone down the training a bit because I did a pretty big uh, November and early December. And so, so it's okay. It's all all fitting into the training program. And, and how the conditions in Traverse City, did you did you guys avoid the, what was it, the winter cyclone bomb? Which the bomb in, cyclone, The bomb yeah. cyclone, in which in all seriousness uh, was, was very, very serious. Yeah, we actually, we got like a ton of snow. Um, and so we probably got like 60 centimeters of snow in like uh, two, three days. And so that was actually kind of cool because we had a really white Christmas and everything. Um, so it was nice to see as long as you were inside, you know, it was really cold out, but uh, it was fine. It wasn't like too crazy. Uh, it wasn't super dangerous or anything here. So that's good. Excellent. Excellent. Here, Well, Chavs, we've got a hell of a lot to get through as always. We're going to try to make the podcast a little bit shorter in 2023 because I am causing the producers all sorts of headaches by going on far too long, not least with the introduction. So we're going to bust on with the news roundup. We're going to have a news roundup before we get to our prognosticating about 2023. And Brian, we're going to start close to home for you, at least, and remind the listeners that just a few days before Christmas, ASO announced that we will eat al dente pasta for the first time in my two plus decades of covering the Tour de France. Meaning that, as per rumours that circulated for a few months now, the 2024 Tour de France will start from Firenze, Florence, the Athens of Italy, the cradle of the Renaissance. The first stage will, in fact, be a very hilly one, taking some of the roads and climbs made famous by the Nove Colli Gran Fondo. No doubt some of our listeners will have done that. Uh, there's going to be 3,700 metres of climbing in that first stage, and it will finish in Rimini, birthplace of Italy's most famous filmmaker, Federico Fellini, where Marco Pantani tragically died in 2004. Stage two will be a sort of Giro dell'Emilia with a French twist, so perhaps slightly sog- soggier pasta. It will climb the iconic hill overlooking Bologna, the San Luca, twice in the closing kilometres, then finish in the centre of Bologna. And then the third stage will begin in beautiful Piacenza, home of friend of the podcast Jacopo Guarnieri. And it will travel all the way up the Pianura Padana, the Po Basin to Turin. We think stage four might enter France from Pinerolo, but no details on that as yet. We do know that the 2024 race will also finish with a time trial in your neck of the woods, Larry, in Nice. Chaps, uh, this well, this is great news for those of us who go to cover the Tour de France ride. Hopefully, Larry, you'll be riding the Tour de France. Um, it will be a beautiful setting. You know, Italy, a country with a fantastic cycling tradition, a great tradition to do with the Tour de France as well. I mean, the ASO is sort of flagging up the fact that this is 100 years. It will be 100 years since the first Italian winner of the Tour de France, Ottavio Bottecchia, won in 1924. There have been seven winners of the Tour de France um, from Italy, last of them being Vincenzo Nibali. But chaps, how much are you looking forward to the idea or looking forward to uh, Grande Partenza in Italy? 
Oh, I'm I'm pretty pumped actually. I mean, it, it looks like a sweet uh, sweet start. And Florence is a really cool city. Uh, and I mean the the first two three stages look just insanely hard. Like uh, that first stage, when I saw that, I was like, oh my god! Like the tour is going to be decided on the first day, you know? So it's interesting because like you know, it's not like anyone's going to be able to sort of like you know come in you know like go, sort of work their way into form. You know, if they're like coming straight down from altitude for the first day, like. Uh, they're not going to be able to do that uh, next year because, like, I mean, it looks just insane. Um, yeah, and I feel like there's going to be sprinters fighting for the time cut already on the first day. So that looks like a really, really hard stage, and that's going to be pretty cool. But I think the changes are pretty exciting, and, yeah, I think it looks looks like it's going to be a cool tour. Brian, uh, we're going to Tuscany. We'll be starting in Tuscany, your home region, your adopted home region. Um, that first stage, finishing Rimini, the, the Larry's just mentioned, I mean, we know it's – it's going to be a very difficult stage. It's going to be a very exciting stage. The symbolism of finishing in Rimini, where, as I mentioned, Marco Pantani died in 2004. Of course, Marco Pantani, the last man to do the Giro Tour double 1998. I mean, we when these rumours were going around, um, or they have been going around for a couple of years, we wondered about the sort of symbolism of that and how how much ASL will emphasize the link with Pantani. Um, it's obviously slightly awkward because of the rele- revelations that came out subsequent to, to Pantani winning the tour and then obviously the circumstances around his death. It, it's That would be an interesting one to see how they they, they tackle that. Yeah, and, and there's actually, <clears throat> I don't know if we spoke about that the last time, but there's also, a, they're opening up a new inquiry around his exit of the Giro in, in 99 and, and including also some of the elements surrounding his his death, I think the focus in Florence, at least, will be much more on uh, Gino Bartali, uh, who's you know the, the most iconic uh, Tuscan figure in in sort of historical part of of modern cycling. So I think that that's gonna that's gonna be the emphasis the emphasis there. What I do like is uh, if you know what Larry also said. I don't know if he likes it, but he, I think he's bang on the money for for his analysis that. Uh, It'll be a little bit similar to next year with that very hectic start, with the with the GC already being quite, I think, on on everyone's mind in in a very early part of the race, and and we're not used to that in a Grand Tour. We're used to sort of the, the last big um, fight off in in the in the Alps of the Pyrenees in the last week, and we're going to see a, a, a different style, a, a more. I think contemporary style that that fits well with the type of riders that we are that we like to see race for for the win these these years. We're quite privileged that uh, that we're living in an area with such great talent. But I think it it's it's just fitting that we're getting that type of parkour as well to um, yeah to really sort of complement that that type of uh, that type of racing as well. <laughs> right, I can see the cat is stirring and starting to also. <laughs> claw at you so I'm going to move on to the next item uh, remaining in Italy some sad news in Italian cycling over the past few weeks uh, with the deaths first of Ercole Baldini that was at the start of December and more recently in the last few days Vittorio Adorni who were respectively 89 and 85 years of age Baldini was best known for his Annus Mirabilis in 1958 when he took the Giro d'Italia, the World Road Race Championships and the Italian Road Race Championships. Adorni won one Giro in 1965 and won Worlds in Imola in 1968. Both, incidentally, from the part of Italy we were talking about a minute ago, Emilia-Romagna. And indeed, that 1968 Worlds was a victory on home rows for Adorni and typical of the Worlds. 
it was nicely seasoned with intrigue and controversy earlier that year. Adorni had helped his famous teammate Eddie Merckx win the Giro for the first time. And there was more than a suspicion that Adorni had been allowed to win the Worlds by such a commanding margin, by over 10 minutes in fact, because Merckx had effectively let him ride away. In fact, La Gazzetta dello Sport's headline the next day was a coffee aroma in Adorni's world title. Faema, of course, being manufacturers of coffee machines. But Brian, Adorni, he was someone that we saw a lot of races. I'd interviewed him on several occasions, um, a really stylish rider by all accounts and a really stylish gentleman, a real statesman of the sport in Italy. But he was also for a very long period of time <clears throat> the president of uh, what I believe is the, the called the UCI Council, which is actually the, the most prestigious figure uh, within the UCI structure, even that going beyond the, the presidency, which is, you know, now uh, in the safe hands of of uh, La Patia. Um so I, I remember when we when when you had to um, I, maybe we'll talk about that later also in this episode when transfers were to happen uh, mid mid season or, or out of uh, when when a rider during a, a valid contract was changing teams it, you'd have to get the signature of Vittorio Adorni because he was the highest ranking figure in the in the UCI council. Uh, but a, a real gentleman, as you said, and he sort of he always reminded me a little bit of of, uh, of also Felice Gimondi, you know that type of statesman-like um, uh, personality in Italian cycling, as well as Alfredo Martini, you know the old national team um, uh, head of the national team. They they get they never forget those uh, those guys here in Italy. No. You know? And someone who maybe I haven't seen in the last few months, but he was always someone who really belied his age in the sense he was always, well, he's quite a tall, very upright gentleman, looked in excellent health, even deep into his 80s. So very sad news. Cyclocross next. There's a lot of cyclocross news and I'm probably going to miss out some of it. But here are a few of the main headlines and happenings over the last couple of weeks. The big three, the cyclocross BGs, as I think I called them in an episode before Christmas, Matthew van der Poel, Walt van Aert and Tom Pidcock have all been in action and indeed served up a bit of a festive feast. On the 23rd of December, the whole trio raced in Zilvermeer Cross at Mall, and it was Van Aert who prevailed on a very sandy course with Van der Poel second and Pidcock third. Van der Poel then avenged that defeat in the World Cup race in Gavara on Boxing Day with Van Aert second and Pidcock third once again. The cross circus then trundled about an hour to the east to Zolder for another round of the Super Prestige Series the following day. There, the tables turned once again with Van Aert first. Van der Poel second and a non-BG, Lauren Swake in third, although Pidcock did get fourth. This all then set up last night's Royal Rumble. Last night we're talking, what day is it, chaps? It's Anyone know? Have you Googled, have you Googled it? I think it's Thursday. Is it Thursday? Yeah. Um, so Wednesday night, there was a bit of a, as I say, a bit of a Royal Rumble in a place called Digham. Um what more learned observers than me are saying was one for the ages, a premier grand cru classé, Chateau Aubriand, 1982, Brian, um, one of the all-time great races. Several points, uh, Pidcock looked the likely victor, including right up to the final corner, and Van der Poel had been dropped just slightly earlier in the race. But ultimately, it was Van Aert who triumphed once again in a race so brutal that he admitted it could not have been very healthy. 
Um, so that capped sensational week in men's cyclocross. And even I understand enough to know that it's also been a bit of a belting season on the women's side, thanks mainly to the Peterza-Femke van Emkel rivalry. That unfortunately has been on pause over Christmas with Van Empel recovering from her crash in the Val di Sole World Cup race earlier in December. In her absence, another Dutch woman, Shirin van Anroy, has been in fine form winning in Moll and Gavara and finishing second to Peterse last night in Diem. Staying in Belgium, bit of news reported in the last few hours. Jan Bakkelens is going to retire at the age of 36. Larry, a very fine rider who spent several years at your current team, AG2R, having won Tour de l'Avenir way back in 2008, then won a stage and worn the yellow jersey at the Tour de France in 2013. Not exactly retiring, but hopefully gone for good, are the hundred or more tumours, fatty lipomas that Alberto Contador had removed in an operation just the other day on December 21st. Uh, Contador said that he needed a trip to the repair shop and they will now take a few weeks to hopefully make a full recovery. Chaps, final item. Um, It's one of the long-running sagas of the winter. Where will Mark Cavendish ride in 2023? Now, just before Christmas, it was widely reported that the Manx missile could well be on his way, airborne, in fact, towards Astana, Kazakhstan. But to date, no deal has been announced. Um, I can tell you, chaps, that unless anything's changed dramatically over the last couple of days, that deal will be announced at some point. The slight hold-up been caused by a small sort of alignment issue between Cavendish's personal sponsors and the team sponsors. You know, this this sometimes happens, Larry, doesn't it? That someone will have a shoe sponsor or a sunglasses sponsor and they'll go to a team which has another supplier and that has to be thrashed out, I believe, before Cavendish can be announced as a new Astana rider. But it, it's not going to be a deal breaker. Um, just a bit more on the sort of prelude to all of this the last round of rumors before the Astana talks were revealed before Christmas had him possibly going to Ineos or the US Pro Conti team Human Powered Health Uh, just to put a bit of meat on those bones I can tell you that Ineos were definitely interested and there were definitely conversations Um, I talked a few weeks ago about um, the, the uncertainty around Cavendish's relationship with Rod Ellingworth, who by all accounts is now calling most of the shots at Ineos, because of course Ellingworth was the team manager at Bahrain when Cavendish didn't have his contract renewed a couple of years ago. Um, I believe that those two have been in, they've had a regular dialogue over the summer, so there were no problems on that score, but Ineos perhaps weren't showing the same urgency in initiating negotiations or concluding negotiations as Astana. Astana, I believe, for when they decided that they were going to get rid of Superman Lopez a few weeks ago. They were very direct and very, as far as Cavendish was concerned, I think pretty adamant that they wanted him. So talks progress, were able to progress very quickly from that point. As regards human-powered health, well, that was also very serious. Um, Cavendish made a trip, I think, to Austria to meet people involved with that team. And they had a quite a long-term plan. Um, they were they were looking at which other riders they could recruit in the hope of maybe even getting a Tour de France wildcard spot for this year, but certainly in the hope of, of sort of moving up a level, whether that was to sort of World Tour or or something like a World Tour team um, in 2024. But I don't think that is going to happen now either. Cavendish will sign and ride for Astana in 2023 and. The plan is very much that he will be the centrepiece of their Tour de France team. Larry, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty crazy. I'm, I'm really glad that he'll hopefully have found a home because I wouldn't want to see a legend like him go out uh, not on his own terms, you know? So that's really cool. And, you know, I, I still think he has quite a bit of life left in him. Um, and I think that's cool, like, you know, the Astana sort of moved in so quickly when um, everything fell apart with Lopez. Um, but, yeah, I'll be interested to see how it goes. You know, I, I don't know if he'll uh, be able to win that last tour stage. Unfortunately, you know, I think. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, we might we, we might we might revisit we might revisit your confidence or lack of confidence in Cavendish taking that that thirty fifth stage later in the episode. But carry on for the moment. Carry on. Yeah, but you know, like I, I think it's cool, and I think I'll probably still win a couple of races this year. Um, but yeah, you know. Um, anyway, I'm I'm happy for him, and I'm happy that it, that it. Is hopefully working out, you know. Uh, I'm sure those sponsor things will will probably be worked out pretty pretty swiftly. So, I mean, I think the strong sense that I've got from well speaking to people very <clears throat> close to Mark Cavendish <laughs> is that he he's found it very refreshing just how much they wanted him, and they obviously it's obviously a team that is built for stage races, and it was built sort of nominally still this year around Superman Lopez. So absent him, it was a little bit, no disrespecting our good friend Joe Dombrowski, who we're going to hear from later in the podcast, but it was a, a team that was starting to look a little bit rudderless in terms of big, big names and big, big objectives. And I think that was what ultimately, as well as supposedly the in- intervention of Alexander Vinokurov's sons, who are big Mark Cavendish fans. Um, it was that need for a focal point and also a personality to sort of be the poster boy of the project that that made them act so quickly and so decisively. And, and I think Cavendish has been flattered and, and and reassured by that. Certainly, looking ahead to the next six months, where they're going to have to build a sprint tra- a sprint team from nothing, no pedigree um, really in the history of that team in sprinting. Um, but they've got they've got the time to do it now, and they have got some riders who nominally, at least on paper, look as though they might be able to do a job in that role. What do you think, Brian? <clears throat> I think they both have their work cut out for them. Both the team's uh, way of structuring the the Tour de France approach. <clears throat> Something needs to change at Astana uh, in a bigger way than just Cavendish coming on because they've had a horrible year. Result-wise, they've just completely lost the plot and the, either the performance planning or how they work together. But also with the tour, with the relatively difficult and very different layout of the tour next year, they're, they're also going to, it's going to be quite demanding for, for Cavendish, I think, just to get through those first really hard stages and then f- and finding that one stage where he thinks he... Uh, he has a good chance of winning that stage. Um, if if not, he'll have to wait until Paris. And that's a long way away when you look at the, how difficult the race is next year. But I, I agree with Larry also. it's It would be a horrible end to his, his career if he if a champion like him couldn't find the team. And it, it would be just the, the book ending that we would all love to see if, if he wins that stage. And then, you know, but I doubt that he'll race another year after that. I couldn't see why he, why he would. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I think Astana getting any kind of positive attention is a good match for them. It's, you know, after the the issues with Lopez now, and, and it's a team that sort of it, they don't, there's no gravitas to them anymore. So this is this is a this is a good story for them if it if it comes through. Okay. 
the cycling podcast powered by super sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches and now you can wear the super sapiens energy band the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from abbott's libra sense glucose sport biosensor the super sapiens energy band is available at supersapiens.com for 159 euros Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, our title sponsors. You can find out more about Super Sapiens at supersapiens.com. Well, chaps, I said today's episode is mainly going to be about gazing into our crystal balls, looking into the future, wondering aloud about what 2023 might bring. Um, Larry, are you someone who, are you a tipster? Are you a prognosticator? Are you a soothsayer? Are you someone who makes predictions generally? Uh I mean, maybe every once in a while I throw one out, but uh, I don't say it's exactly one of my pastimes. So <laughs> It's funny because in some correspondence, in some leaked correspondence <laughs> with your friend Joe Dombrowski the other day, you were, you were fairly, you know, you sounded fairly confident in your prognostications about something that might happen or not happen in 2023. More on that in a minute. But I said we're going to hear from several friends of the cycling podcast associates guests um some familiar voices we're going to hear over the course of the episode with their predictions for 2023 and we are then going to debate what they say and decide to what extent we agree or don't agree with them so i tell you what let's go to joseph lloyd dombrowski is it first, yeah Larry? it is let's 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 hear from joe let's hear what he thinks is going to happen in 20 Hi, I'm Joe Dombrowski. I ride for Astana, Kazakhstan, and my predictions for 2023 are that Alejandro Valverde will ride the Vuelta and that Jumbo will win all three Grand Tours. Joe Dombrowski, ace climber and soon to be lead out man possibly for Astana, Kazakhstan, with some, well, with one very intriguing prediction there. Um, Alejandro Valverde is going to make a comeback and he's going to ride the Vuelta a España. And he also thinks that, Joe also thinks that Jumbo Visma is going to do a clean sweep of the Grand Tours. Now, the Valverde won first, chaps. It's funny because for two reasons. One, I independently of Joe had this very hunch myself, um, or I've had it for a few weeks. I know from speaking to Joe that he saw Valverde riding with the team. Uh, I think they were in Calpe, as was pretty much most, well, the whole peloton before Christmas. And he just observed Valverde from afar. And Joe said to me, it didn't look like the behavior of someone who was retiring. I think we've all, a few of us, we've seen videos as well of Valverde at the team camp and, and even there talking about the way he's training and talking, other riders talking about how he's maybe the strongest guy in the Movistar group or one of the strongest guys in the Movistar group, but he's still pretty adamant about the fact that he has retired. Um, However, there, there are parallels in other sports. There have been other comebacks in the past. I was reading up earlier today about Michael Jordan's two comebacks, particularly the second comeback with the Washington Wizards, which I'd forgotten. He was going to announce on the day of 9-11, well, the day when 9-11 occurred. And um, I think the news conference was about to happen and it was then postponed for two weeks because obviously it would have been pretty bad taste. Um, but yeah, they got me thinking about how this could possibly come about. And I just wondered whether, you know, Valverde... If he is riding with the team at training camps, I can imagine a pre-Vuelta training camp at the Sierra Nevada and maybe the team has an injury or something's not working at the team and Eusebio Unsue turns to 
Valverde and he says, Alejandro, how about it? The, the one slight issue is the team is full. They've got 30 riders and they don't have any Neo pros. So there's no scope for them to go to 32 riders. However, I think they could find a way, you know. Someone could be bundled into the boot of yeah. Eusebio's car and smuggled out of Spain. What do you think? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I actually, I think it's a cool idea and I could see it happening because, yeah, from like some of the guys that followed on Instagram, Mateo Jorgensen and stuff like that, I saw that like, it looks like Valverde was in really good shape and putting the hurt on all the young guys. So, um, you know, I'm sure he's going to stay in shape and just the stories about how he trains and essentially he just goes and rides his bike with his friends every day. I'm guessing he's not going to stop that um, because I think that's just what he loves to do. So I'm sure he's going to stay in really good shape and he's such a racer that like he'll probably really miss it. So I wouldn't say that's the craziest idea in the world. Um, and I'm sure he'll have the legs to do it if he wants to. Uh, it's just, I guess I didn't realize this thing about 30 riders at Movistar. Um, that that will be the only thing that <clears throat> throws a bit of a, a wrench in spokes. But uh, but it'd be pretty cool to see, actually. I, I, I was going to say earlier i said it's funny for two reasons one reason i had had the same idea as joe the other thing was that yesterday in spain it's the 27th of december and it's their equivalent of april fool's day the dia de los inocentes and it was actually reported in there was a big spanish website yesterday reported that valverde was going to come back he decided to do all grand tours in 2023 and come back for the olympics in 2024 but that was just a that was just a hoax a joke um brian yeah, this one, uh, you're not sure. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm just... More likely that Brian comes back I, to... Just Brian Nygaard comes back to team management in 2023 or Alejandro Valverde comes back to the pro peloton. <laughs> Equally, for me at least, as doubtful. Uh, I, I'm just... I, what do they have to gain with that after the whole hoorah and and farewell and, and all of that. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you. There are certain technicalities that they'll need to work over, including also reinserting him in the biological passport oh, yeah. and, uh, and whatnot, which, which, and, and, and he'll have to, that that's, it's not, not, not just his decision as to how this is going to, this is going to work out. Um, I, I, I couldn't, see, I, I don't think he has to, he's done, you know, he's been an icon for that team for Spanish cycling and, and everyone showed their respect and, 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 and so, yeah, you know, of course he can do it if, if, you know, if he decides to, from a physical point of view, I just think that team in, in general also needs to turn the page a little bit on, uh, on the Valverde chapter and, and look for new riders that can sort of be, be their new point of reference and 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 image etc and Valverde will always I suppose be be a part of that but I think from a from a team from the internal coherence in the team I've also been for other reasons I've been having a bit of a look at the um, uh, the Netflix show about about Movistar and and I'm not quite convinced if they want to do something new on that team beyond um, marketing um, they, they would they, they I can't really see how the internal coherence and that team is gonna benefit I mean, from I mean, maybe it back just for the clicks Brian just for series four of El Diamino Pensado I mean what a storyline <laughs> um, I mean who's more likely to make a yeah. comeback to cycling in 2023 Alejandro Valverde or Fernando Gaviria Gaviria <laughs> joke <laughs> joke <laughs> <laughs> what about um, gravel? Well, he's going to do. Apparently, Valverde is going to do. Um, he's going to do the world championships, isn't he? 
at the end of the year, I think. The gravel one? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. I, believe well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did like Unbound or some of these gravel races, you know? That would actually be pretty cool to see. I, I would like to see Valverde do uh, some of these big gravel races in the US. It would be, uh, I think it'd be cool. That. Joe's second prediction, chaps, Jumbo Visma to do a clean sweep of the Grand Tours. Now, we should say, I should have maybe included this in our in our news roundup this is on the back of their team presentation just a week ago when they effectively confirmed what some of us had wondered about some of us thought might happen i primos roglic is going to go back to the giro d'italia for the first time since 2019 when he he narrowly failed to win the giro d'italia in 2019 and jonas vingegaard is going to defend his tour de france title not the, 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 were they were they clear about whether Roglic would go to the tour or not, or that was left open? Is uh, I was actually wondering about that, but looking at the the quotes, uh, he's not. He's not going so, to the tour. So, for a clean sweep to happen, one would presume that would mean Roglic to win the Giro, Vingegaard to win the Tour, and Jan Tratnik to win the Vuelta a España. <laughs> I know not. I don't. Actually, we've got another prediction later to which, which might be um, that there might be some relevance to that. But no, it would be Roglic. I, I, I guess going to the Giro, going to the Vuelta after the Tour. Yeah, I mean, if Vingegaard if follows his, uh, the tendency this year, he's. Uh, I mean, he's already said also that he's skipping the the Ardennes Classics and he's not going to have any goals around the one day races because he doesn't think they they suit him found it's quite early age to write those off but but anyways um i think just just for the just for the sake of his his he has a quite restricted race program and he he's currently not available for the national team either for the worlds um which makes sense i guess for for the layout in in glasgow so i i don't think uh Vingegaard will do the world so and i i would be surprised if he did it in the service of rockledge also larry Big comeback here uh, from Rog in 2023. Another comeback. I mean, not that he hasn't really been away, has he? But it would take a sensational year from Roglic for this to happen. The triple, the triple crown for Jumbo Visma. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely. I actually, I, I would see him winning the Giro over um, Evenepoel. Like for me, that's. Uh, I think he'll win the Giro, um, and then if he's not going to do the Tour de France, I also think he'll probably be number one favorite for the Vuelta because, like. He is just such a good racer, and yeah, he's had some bad luck frequently. But uh, uh, yeah, I I could definitely see him winning two Grand Tours in one year, and then I still think that Pogacar would probably uh, win the Tour next year. It'll be interesting to see. Chaps, let's hear from someone who is going to contradict certainly something you just said, Larry. <laughs> let's hear from our old mate Chiro Scognamilio from La Gazzetta dello Sport. Dear listeners, here is Ciro Scognamillo from La Gazzetta dello Sport and in less than 60 seconds or a little bit more maybe, my five predictions about 2023 cycling year. Renko and Vendepool will win Tour of Italy. We will see a new Tour de France winner, so no Tadej Pogacar and no Jonas Vingegaard will be in yellow in Paris. Wout van Aert will win a monument, is the second one after San Remo 2020. Filippo Ganna will be on the podium of next Paris-Roubaix. Miriam Grmai will become in Glasgow, the first world champion ever from Africa. 
And last but not least, prediction number six, the easiest one. I'm not supposed to win any king of the mountain in any race because, dear listeners, you already know this. C remains the right answer. Always. Ciao. Okay, first up, Chiro thinks that, contrary to what Larry just said, Remco Evenepoel will win the Giro d'Italia. A pretty popular prediction. We had some listeners send us some predictions, and I think someone said that Remco would win the Giro by 10 minutes or more. Um, Chiro also thinks there'll be a new Tour de France winner, someone who's never won it before. That is intriguing. And we'll talk maybe in a second about who the candidates could be. Well, Van Aert will win a monument. Well, the sun will also rise in the east on most days in 2023. Not really much of a prediction there from Chiro. Uh, Philippe Organa will finish on the podium of Paris-Roubaix. Biniam Gamay will win the World Championships in Glasgow. And Chiro won't spend much time in the mountains because he hates the mountains. Well, we knew that already. So, chaps, um, will Remco winning the Giro... I mean, I'm guessing that he'll go in as the bookmaker's favourite. Brian, notoriously not the biggest Remco Evenepoel fan in the past. But how do you think he measures up to Roglic? What's going to be, what's the main question mark as far as you're concerned um, when you think about a jury Italia with Remco and Roglic going head to head? And there are going to be other contenders as well. You know, I mean, Bora are going to have a very strong team. There are various other riders who have declared that they want to win the Giro? Um, I think well, a couple of things. Uh, because of the parkour, it, I think it, it favours, even if Roglic is a brilliant time trialist and Olympic champion, for, for a reason, I think it, it the more time trialing with the way he's he's doing those, um, Remco, it, it favours him. Remco, uh, he needs to stay out of trouble in a way that I think Roglic will be better at. And I think Roglic will be better at taking... He will rocklify a lot of those bonus seconds, and he'll he'll that the team in general will try to make life hard for for Evan Paul whenever they can. But I think in in terms of sheer strength, uh, climbing ability, Remco is, I think at this point maybe the better bike rider. But so much more goes into winning a Grand Tour as we've as we've seen. Um, but because of his his performance at the Welter. The experience he gained there, and and potentially also the team they'll put behind him, because that needs to be significantly better than even at the Walser, even if he won. Uh, I I think Remco has the upper hand in that one. Larry, both of these riders have won Vuelta a España, or Remco won his first Vuelta a España. Roglic, of course, has won three. Uh, you've done both the Giro and the Vuelta. Obviously, the course changes every year, but it always strikes me, and we always say that the the Giro and the Vuelta are the two Grand Tours that are least like, least alike of the Grand Tours. The you know the Giro has long stages, long climbs, a lot of generally various ascents over two thousand meters. The Vuelta stages are short, the climbs are short. Um, the roads, well, there's less road furniture. It seems like a um, a simpler race in in terms of bike handling and so on and so forth. How different are they, and how relevant is this to the question of whether these two riders can win the Giro. Yeah, I mean, I would say another <clears throat> huge factor is the weather, actually. You know, I mean, like the welt is so hot and then the Giro <clears throat> sometimes can be really cold. So um, that can have a really big difference. Although usually it's harder to go to the hot one than it is to go the other way around. And obviously they're both pretty good in the heat if they both won the Welta. So 
Um, that'll be interesting, you know, if one of them deals better with, you know, the cold weather, things like that. But then also I would say that Giro has more technical descents than the Vuelta, for example. So um, that could be something that could make a difference. I haven't really observed uh, Remco up close in like uh, very recently, but I remember the last time um, I did the Giro in 2021, um, and he was really struggling on the descents. Uh, like he would open up gaps. Like one time, you know, I was on his wheel and yeah, he just opened up this huge gap on the Zonkalon stage. There was like this long descent. And uh, yeah, it was like he caused a huge split. You know, there was maybe 15 guys in the front and then his whole team had to wait for him and then ride him back. And I'm assuming he's better at descending than he was like two years ago. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think a bigger factor will be all the time trialing. Um, you know, obviously Remco and Roglic are insane time trialists. Um, but you know, I, I think Jumbo is definitely more advanced in terms of um, all the minute details, and uh, they changed some of their sponsors this year. They're going to be on speed play pedals, which for time trials are like faster. You know, it's all these marginal gains. You know, I don't know if you knew, but like they had these shoes that were like custom carbon. Um, made shoes so they have lower stack height and they're more aerodynamic you know just these little details that like quick step they're not doing that and uh i think yeah i I can't remember whether we've already spoken about this on the podcast in the last few weeks but um the change to sram yeah yumbo visma are switching from shimano to sram in 2023 and we know that movistar Movistar changed from Campac to SRAM, didn't they, a couple of years ago? And and it, it was sort of said, it kind of came out afterwards that this had caused a lot of problems for the me- mechanics in particular. Um, do you see that as, as being a big issue for them this year? No, because I think they kind of worked out a lot of the kinks with the SRAM. You know, the biggest kink at the start was just that um, they had 50 chain rings um, and maybe they went up to 52. And so everyone was complaining because they didn't have the same sort of like gear ratios as uh, the other teams. So they then produced to 54. And then if you actually saw, I mean, this is really like in-depth detail, but like when they posted a photo of their new TT bike, they had like some massive chain ring, you know, it looked like a 58 or a 60, which didn't exist before, you know, now. So like, obviously I think SRAM must have agreed to make some, you know, edits, uh, to adapt to whatever their desires were. So I think um, they wouldn't have switched to SRAM if they didn't think they could produce at least um, as good of performances as with Shimano. So I don't really see that as being a problem. And then it allowed them to pick these other little sponsors, you know, like Speed Play or, you know, I don't know if they're changing their helmets. That's the only thing I'm not sure about. Um, you know, they're going to have, you know, different wheels, their own wheels. So like, you know, I think they're, so they're going to be so much better optimized. Anyway, sorry, that was a really long uh, rant, ramble, but... <laughs> it's actually uh, it's actually quite similar to what Sky, back when it was Team Sky, did. They ended up buying their own group sets from Shimano so that they had uh, all the other options open for, for the extra equipment they would need for, you know, mar- marginal gains or whatever you, you want to call it. And I, I agree, Larry, that Jumovisma, they have a better setup for Grand Tours. They have a better Grand Tour uh, experience, but also in general, I think a, a better support than Quickstep has, uh, without a doubt, you know, just, just by the sheer experience and everything. It's a bit like you, Brian, buying your own wine at the Giro d'Italia and not dipping into the, <laughs> the cycling podcast budget because we can't afford your wine cho- choices. Um, 
I, so, chaps, that was Chira's first first prediction, anyway, um, about Remco winning the Giro. Just one other that I want to dwell on just for a moment. He says there'll be a new Tour de France winner. So that excludes Tadej Pogacar, excludes Jonas Vingegaard, it excludes Egan Bernal. Who else could possibly win the Tour de France for the first time? I mean, a few candidates, Enric Mas, uh, Carlos Rodriguez, maybe, Jai Hindley. Um, any any other thoughts, any other names, any other ideas? Richard Carapaz, I don't know. But I mean, it, it's a... There's some mysticism to that quote. I find even other other things will have to give for that to work out. I mean, are <laughs> some of those riders, the stronger ones, the past two winners of the race, are they're going to ride into each other and exit. <laughs> there's, there's there's some there's some. I think there's some contingencies in that that uh, it, Chiro, yeah, an, an air of Chiro hiding behind the grassy knoll. I think, yeah. I, I, I really doubt, I, I, I'm struggling to see that scenario unfold itself without riders crashing out. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, that's going to take something catastrophic to happen to uh, the first two riders from this year because uh, I just don't see anyone having anywhere close to the same level that uh, they have. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It would be, that's hard for me to see. Um, but yeah, you never know. I mean, there is Carapaz. There's, uh, I mean, maybe Hinley. I still don't think they have the same level as Vingago or uh, Bobachar. No, I actually think Emric Musk could win the Tour de France. No, that one, that one, I, um, I think won't happen. That's like the one guy that I don't oh, see okay. that happening. But, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> why, why, Larry? Let's let's alienate Movistar a little bit. No, more yeah, no, um, no, 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 no. After what I said about <laughs> Fernando Gaviria, <laughs> I don't know if it's maybe the way he races or like, you know, I mean, I don't want to like get in trouble here or anything. But you know, to me, he looks he's kind of like a follower. You know, like uh, he's not the guy like you know attacking putting the other guys under pressure he's more just like the best of the rest you know he's like uh in my mind like every time i saw i feel like he's just following the best guy you know he's never like making and and he maybe is a little less explosive whereas like you know you could see like uh pogachar or vingegold they're like sprinting you know like they're like doing these crazy attacks and they have this punch and like then they're gonna also be able to get time bonuses way more easily than he will because like you know, he has to essentially drop everyone from a long way out because he's more of a diesel. So I don't know. I just don't see him having that like sort of punch. And uh, yeah, I just really don't see him. Also, like TT is like uh, he's not there. So okay, he's not going to win the Tour de France. Now let's hear another prediction about well, which also features Enric Mas. And the prediction comes from host of the of our Spanish cycling podcast, Laura Meseguer. Hello, I'm Laura Meseguer from El Cycling Podcast. My predictions for 2023 are that Mas is going to have a very good year. I, I would say he's going to win La Vuelta España. I'm saying this before knowing the parkours of La Vuelta, but I think he's going to have a very good um, year, very good next season. And also the guys, Juan Ayuso, and uh, Carlos Rodriguez. I think they are going to be protagonists during the whole season and Spanish cycling is going to be back again to the highest level. So, Larry, you don't think Enric Mas can win the Tour de France. Can he, as Laura says he will, can he win La Vuelta? And Laura's not specific about what she thinks Carlos Rodriguez and and Juan Ayuso are going, are going to do 
in 2023, but they're going to be prominent. They're going to be center stage. Uh, Ayuso, we know, we think he's going to ride the Vuelta España again, having finished fourth this year. Fourth, he finished. I think he finished third. Fourth. Third. 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 Sorry. Yeah. He was. He was. Um, so, Mas, can he win La Vuelta at least? Yeah, I think he maybe has a chance to win the Vuelta. Uh, but I think, like, you know, Primos has to be tired or, you know, like, yeah, he probably has a decent chance to win the Vuelta. Whether it's this year or another year. Well, I, why, why wouldn't they bring him to the... I think they'll, they'll, they'll bring him to the Tour. And I think that that'll compromise it. Well, somewhat. he's done. He's he's generally tended to do the tour and the Vuelta, and that hasn't prevented him getting good results. Yeah. In the Vuelta, so. No, but I think that the priority will be on the tour. I mean, who knows? But my my reason for doubting it is is another one that actually because I think Bernal will win the Vuelta next year. Larry, what's the word on the grapevine about Am Bernal? I've heard that. Um, well. There's still some skepticism about whether he can come back to his former level. And that's that's the prevailing mood. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know. I haven't really, but it, it appears that he's training a lot. Um, and I'd really love to see him come back to his um, former level because it'd be a shame to have such a bad crash like that uh, affect his career. Um, but yeah, he obviously doesn't look like he's lacking in motivation or anything. And he looks like he's training hard in Colombia. So um yeah i hope it works out but i, I really i don't have any like insight onto whether you know uh he'll be able to do it or not so chaps three sets of predictions down many more to come from the great and good of the cycling podcast orbit some of our illustrious guest friends the next one, well, let's go. Let's go live or almost live to Belgium, shall we? Um, Belgium, a country that, well, by all accounts, very excited at the moment about all things cyclocross. However, we're more interested in the road, at least for the purposes of this podcast. What's going to happen on the road in 2023? Let's find out from our mate, Renard Schotter from Sportza. Hi, it's uh, Renard Schotter here from Sportza. My predictions for 2023 are for Belgium, rain all year long but i guess you didn't want to hear that as far as the racing is concerned um yeah you want to think that i might uh, predict that remco evenable is going to win the giro that sounds too easy so don't let me think about that um the most important races in belgium are the classics the cobble classics so for the tour of flanders i predict tadej pogacar as a winner because his account is still very open there and he has to make up something there. And then a week later, the ultimate Cobbles Classics, Paris-Roubaix, Hell of the North, a historical West Spring edition, and the winner will be Wout van Aert. So chaps, it's going to rain in Belgium. Well, that didn't require a news flash from, from the cream of Belgian cycling reporting, did it? Um, it's going to rain every day, uninterrupted in Belgium in 2023. Um, Tadej Pogacar is going to win the Tour of Flanders and Wout van Aert is going to win Paris-Roubaix. Well, Wout van Aert winning Paris-Roubaix, that sort of is another one in the, the Pope has a balcony kind of 
category. Um, I think a lot of us think that Wild Van Aert will win Paris Bay at some point um, in the future, whether it's going to be 2023 or not. Renard thinks it's going to be wet at Paris Bay. Well, having predicted that it's going to be wet every day, then that's not really particularly newsworthy either. So let's focus on Pogacar winning Tour of Flanders. Of course, he came very close last year. He won. He came very close last year. Is he going to? Can he do it? Can he do it this year? Um, he said that he's going to ride the Tour of Flanders. You know, I mean, when you saw the way he rode last year uh, in Flanders, like, I mean, he was just incredible. And I mean, yeah, I definitely think he had the legs to win last year. Um, he just obviously was with someone who probably had a stronger sprint. But again, you could see last year in um, was it Montreal or Quebec, whatever, in Canada. For example, at the end of a long race, uh, you never know who sprints. Um, you know, he shouldn't have won the sprint that he won. So um, I really could see him winning um, Flanders this year, especially with another year of experience. Um, and the way he raced last year, I, I really, uh, I would actually love to see a Pogacar victory in Flanders. I think it'd be really cool to see, you know, a GC climber guy like him uh, win a classic like that. There aren't a lot of races he can't win. Uh, it's just with with um, with the Hilly races, as we saw, you know, the last time in Lombardy, he, he, he doesn't have uh, a strong competition. He has world class bike riders, but he's just the best. I think in Flanders last year he made, or this year, sorry, he made a huge mistake at at the end. You probably remember that sprint was a bit met, a bit messed up on his behalf. <clears throat> but I think in in those types of races, I mean, what the move he did in, in the Quadrimont was one of the moves of the year. That that effort he made on the Quadrimont was so impressive. I just I still think there are better riders for Flanders than him. There there aren't for for Lombardy and there aren't for other races such as I don't know Tour of the Basque Country or potentially even the Tour de France. I just think he's up against uh, riders who in that on that specific day in that specific discipline is better. Uh, but as we all know with the classics, it's not always enough just to be the strongest. You also have to have a lot of luck. You have everything has to fall into your lap in a certain way. And 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 for that reason, he he might as well win Flanders. I I just can't see him as the outright favorite. Larry. In the last part, you talked about Jumbo Visma and their sort of know-how and also their technical well expertise and their resources. There's there is a bit of a prevailing narrative about UAE not being quite the same level um, with their possibly with their equipment. Possibly, you know, if I, if I look at the staff of Jumbo, sorry, of UAE, there aren't a lot of guys there. They don't have many sort of Belgian veteran direct sportive. They don't have any, in fact. Um, well, they had really- Alan Piper, who I. I think it's still like did. kind of a consultant, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's not really part of the culture of the team. Um, is that a concern? Uh, I don't think it's really too big of a concern, you know. I mean, they already showed last year, um, yeah, like in Flanders, that it, it didn't, you know, make a huge difference. Okay, he messed up the sprint because he was playing uh, the game, but, you know, that's kind of what you have to do sometimes. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I think he's so strong that, like, he can overcome perhaps those slight deficiencies in knowledge um, of, like, the the Flemish classics. So, I don't, I don't really see that as being too big an issue um, or impacting his performance. It also seems like with his approach, it's almost part of it that he that he just defies all of those uh, typical dogmas of being able to win those races. It, you know, his first of all, his season is longer than than most other riders. He's more successful in more amount of of races than potentially any other bike rider. So I, I agree with Larry also that that all those things it it sort of works. 
it works for him anyways and i don't think they would start a they would have a different approach with a more you know having him stay in ghent for two weeks and do all the climbs 50 times a day it's just not it's just not part of his approach is it, it he just he races him if he sees a climb that's in the final he attacks he might not even know the name of it so i, I think it just goes beyond what he what how he wants to to approach even the bigger classics i just think like he's so strong and he can overcome that kind of thing you know like for example, maybe a guy who has like a little bit smaller of an engine, you know, he needs to be in the exact perfect position. He needs to know like where to bunny hop that curb and take the inside of that corner so that like otherwise maybe he'll lose a tiny bit. Uh, and, you know, Pogachar could start 15 wheels back on, you know, one of the most important climbs and then just blow by everyone and then like still be first at the top or with a 30 second gap, you know? So it's like, I think his strength allows him to overcome some of that stuff. The subtext of a few of these predictions, chaps, or one of the subtexts is that after his diabolical 2022 season, Tadej Pogacar is finally going to rediscover his form in 2023. Of course, that not being true, it was an outstanding season. But um, let's hear another one now, and another one that sort of speaks to that. And it's from our mate at TV2 in Norway, Magnus Ora. Hi, this is uh, Magnus Ora from Norwegian TV2. My big, if slightly um, unrealistic prediction for 2023 is that one nation will win all three Grand Tours. I think arrested and recovered Roglic will beat Evenepoel at the Giro. Pog on a mission will win in France. And um, there is talk of both of them doing the Vuelta. And I think uh, one of them will win it. So um, there you go. Slovenia will win all three Grand Tours in 2023. So Magnus, well, we've heard Joe Dombrowski predicting a Jumbo Visma clean sweep of the Grand Tours. Um, uh, a rog, Jonas rog, um, triangle of sorts. And we've heard Magnus there predict a Slovenian clean sweep of the Grand Tours. So effectively suggesting as well that it's going to be a cracking year for Pog. Um, Tadej Pogacar, he is going to reclaim his position really um, as a sort of de facto king of the world of professional cycling from Jonas Vingegaard, win the Tour de France, and probably win something else as well. Larry, I want to ask you about Tadej Pogacar. This is something I mentioned in a podcast a few weeks ago. Tadej Pogacar, everyone talks about his talent and that's acknowledged and celebrated and revered by everyone. Thinking of when he might come up against some adversity in his career and thinking about this narrative of him wanting to reclaim this throne this year. What have you heard? What have you what do you know? What can you see about his work ethic and his grit factor? Because he's someone who always seems to ride with a smile on his face. Um the the narrative about Pogacar, the sort of identical of Pogacar, is is one about a sort of supernatural talent who has this almost childlike nonchalance in everything that he does. But the the narrative is not the same. I said it when I did talk about this a few weeks ago, that generally, you know, the great dominant figures in sport, the Tiger Woods is the Roger Federer's, a big part of, of their story or a big part of the story people tell about them is the fact that they're the hardest worker around. Have you heard, well, what have you heard to that effect about Pogacar? And is it necessary to be the hardest worker among you know, the, the uncommon men who dominate the sport. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that he's maybe, I think more guys get kind of pissed because they're like, what the heck, you know. I would say I pass him, you know, quite 
relatively frequently. And and so you, every, you you pass him. Sorry, Larry you know, like, Warbur- in Let's cross, put on record. Yeah, 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 Larry yeah, yeah, Warbus yeah, pass passes Tanay Bocaccio, not the as other in, way around. As in he's going one way, I'm going the opposite way. This right. also got me in trouble on Twitter the other week when I said, yeah, I pass more pros on Calderas and someone goes, <laughs> yeah, maybe because they're not trying. I was like, I mean, like, I cross people's paths, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm going faster than them. So, yeah. We understand you. We have, you're, you're amongst friends. Yeah, yeah. Like. Just to clarify, pass him going the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, and I think actually part of it is just that, like, he actually really enjoys being a cyclist. But, you know, I think he works his training into a way that he really enjoys. And, you know, I don't think he's doing these or from what I understand, he doesn't do these crazy hours like, you know, some of the other guys do. You know, he does like, uh, you know, say he'll do up to five hours. You know, maybe sometimes he goes longer. But like, you know, I would say generally he doesn't do crazy high volume, but he rides hard. Okay. And, you know, um, his trainer is like Inigo San Milan. He's really big into this like high zone two training, whatever. So, you know, I think it's just maybe he doesn't train as many hours, but his training is very focused and, you know, he trains hard. He trains well. And he just does everything right, you know? And, and so it's like, I think he has simple training, but it's effective and efficient. Um, and uh, maybe he doesn't get bogged down and all this like, oh, I got to do like uh, 35 hours this week or something like that. Because, you know, maybe, I don't know, Vingegaard is doing that. Um, so, you know, I think, I think obviously he's a huge talent, but I think he does work hard, even if maybe it doesn't appear that way always like, uh, in the eye of the general public or the other pros or something. Um, you know, I think he's just, when he's training, he's training hard. Um, and maybe he, yeah, he doesn't do the traditional, like, you know, giant hours some guys do, but uh, whatever he's doing definitely works for him. And I think because he enjoys it, it's easier. Well, that's settled that, I think. <laughs> um, I think that that's probably, that's probably pretty much covered the Grand Tours. We've talked a lot about the Grand Tours. Um, Larry, do you have any predictions where you haven't really, um, we haven't really committed ourselves yet to who's going to win the three Grand Tours? Uh, you said that you thought Rog, no, you did say that Rog yeah. was going to win the the Giro. Um, who's going to win the Tour? Yeah, I guess I think Pogacar will win the Tour again. I think Roglic will win the Giro and then the Vuelta, I think, is maybe up in the air. But uh, if if Roglic then focuses on the Vuelta and doesn't do the Tour, I think he'll also win the Vuelta. Hmm. Hmm. Um, the good thing is, as I said to one of our contributors earlier today, it was, it was well, someone we're going to hear from later, actually. No, Laura, we've already heard from her. Um, no one will remember any of these predictions, so it doesn't really matter. Um, chaps, Let's go on to the last prediction of the part. And this one comes from Marco Pinotti, another good friend of the podcast. He's the performance director, Jaco Alula. I should have put, should have included in the news roundup the fact that Alula, um, the Saudi Arabian tourist resort, is going to be a co-sponsor of that team next year. Anyway, this is what Marco Pinotti thinks is going to happen in 2023. Hi, I'm Marco Pinotti. Uh, 2023, I think uh, Luca Vergalito, also known as Il Bandito, could be one of the surprises as regarding as Italian cycling, one of the new hope. Let's uh, let's see. Well, Luca Vergalito, that is a name that not 
well, you'll have heard that name if you are a follower of or you watch the Swift, um, Zwift, sorry, Zwift Academy, um, which is kind of a, a talent show for professional cyclists. It's sort of the pop idol X Factor of professional cycling. And Luca Vergalito was this year's winner. Previous winners, of course, include, well, J Vine, double Vuelta a España stage winner. Last year's winner, Alex Bonya, um, hasn't, hasn't really blossomed to the same extent as J Vine yet. But the most recent winner, Luca Vergalito, a guy with a really interesting story. Um, I think he's 25. Rode as an amateur, rode as a junior, didn't get the results that he needed to to really get the attention of pro teams, didn't turn pro, did a degree in sports science, I believe, and thought he might end up in professional cycling as a coach or as a sports scientist. Now he's won the Zwift Academy and he's got a contract with Alpecin Phoenix. He's going to ride for their development team, not their World Tour team next year. Known as Il Bandito, sort of self styled bandito because he went around northern Italy stealing people's Strava king of the mountain segments and crowns um Marco I've been speaking privately to Marco about Vergalito and he says that he's been known in Italy for a long time and he has long been acknowledged as one of the recognized as one of the most talented guys around in Italy and it's a, it will be a bit of a poor mm, sort of reflection on the Italian cycling system if he does emerge and does prove to be as good as his Zwift results suggest because he's someone who's been pretty much ignored by the Italian cycling establishment. Larry, what should we make of... Well, it's difficult to quibble with Jay Vine's results, but when you see Luca Vergalito, 25 years old, smashing the Zwift Academy, what do you think? What do you expect from someone like him next year? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see um, it signed for... um, Alpacena after he won this Zwift Academy and I saw that yeah he had raced as an amateur um, and unfortunately for him relatively unsuccessfully you know uh, it looked like most of the races were DNF um, in the under 23s but then I, I actually <clears throat> once I heard this prediction I looked him up again and I was looking to see that yeah he actually uh, he was doing university at the same time he quit cycling to finish his university studies and um, yeah now he's getting a master's degree so you know, maybe it was just he had a bit too much on his plate at the time and now he's uh, doing it right. But, you know, the, it's one thing having the numbers. It's, you know, one thing being able to smash Stravas. And it's a whole other thing um, to the, you know, racing as a pro and winning races. So, um, you know, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I think Jay Vine definitely showed that it's possible. It took him quite a few years to be able to do it and work into the system of racing and stuff. Um, but obviously if it works, it can work very well. <laughs> so, so we'll see, you know, it's like, I've definitely seen some guys on Strava who absolutely can smash it, but you know, you don't ever see them in races. So, um, it doesn't always translate, uh, but it'll be an interesting one to watch. And I think a lot of people will be looking to see if it works or not. Um, because yeah, then it could be something for the future. The cycling podcast is supported by science in sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Science in Sport have a discount code for all cycling podcast listeners. As I'm sure you know, it gives 25% off everything at scienceinsport.com and the code is SISCP25. Well, chaps, several 
predictions still to come. We've got a listener prediction. We're going to hear, we're going to have some of our own predictions. Um, quick fire bullet point predictions. Some, there'll be some intriguing ones there, I'm sure. Um, but first, let's go to another good friend, another very familiar voice on the podcast. Let's go to Rob Hatch, shall we? Hello, Rob Hatch here from the Tele Commentator. Um, a little prediction for the year. I think that this is going to be the year that Mark Cavendish returns to the Tour de France, wins another stage, and becomes the man who's won more stages than anybody else ever. Happy New Year, everyone. Rob Hatch thinks Mark Cavendish is going to win his 35th Tour de France stage there for pulling clear of Eddie Merckx at the top of the tree, um, having holding the outright record of Tour de France stage victories, and he's going to do it with Astana, Kazakhstan. Now, Larry, I hinted, I alluded earlier to some correspondence between you and your good friend, the Astana, Kazakhstan rider, Joe Dombrowski, casting aspersions on Joe's ability to play any role in any such victory, and indeed, perhaps even casting aspersions on Cavendish's, or casting some kind of doubts over Cavendish's um, what the likelihood of Cavendish achieving this fantastic, well, this very lofty goal? Um, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not a believer. Are you? I have to just clarify. At, at, at Astana, that's like you know, at Astana. If he was at Quick Step, one hundred percent, I think he would break the record. Um, <clears throat> like if he was at Quick Step and went to the Tour de France, I'm sure he would break the record. But I just don't think at Astana. Uh, you know, I think. One thing that makes a big difference is the bike. And, you know, I think Willie A, they make a good bike for climbing. Um, but, you know, they don't News have flash. the most aero wheels. Flash, they don't Larry. have the most um, aero I bike. I saw close yeah. to Mark Cavendish. <clears throat> and he's pretty pretty happy, pretty encouraged by what he's seen of the bike so far. Um, particularly by the geometry of the bike. Um, he had problems at Bahrain, Victorious. Not so much, didn't necessarily think it was a way, didn't think that it was a bad bike, the Merida bike. But the geometry was more was more sort of relaxed, more in line with the, the bikes that kind of weekend warriors now ride. Um I, I'm led to believe that well, the Willia is the Villier is is a little bit more aggressive, um, sort of lower, and possibly it will be more air uh-huh. for him anyway. He he will certainly be more comfortable on it. And um, I've heard the same as you've heard about the well, as you know about the wheels. I think they're made by Corima, are they? Um, but yeah, there aren't yeah. quite the concerns over equipment that I feared he may have. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens once he starts racing, because I think doing it in training, trying everything in training is totally different than being in a race and then being next to other guys on like, you know, super fast, super bikes. Um, so, I mean, I hope it works out and I, I really hope he wins like his 35th stage. I would love to see Mark win like, uh, you know, break the record. I think it'd be so cool and I'd be really happy for him. I just think it might be hard at Astana, uh, just with the current situation, but I do think they'll be able to establish a decent lead out train. Um, you know, if they bring Case Bowl also, then you have um, this Martin Loss guy who they just signed conveniently uh, before um, it sounded like Cavendish is going to come. And then, um, you know, I think like a guy like Batistella can be good early in the lead out. And then, you know, even Lutsenko, someone like that. So I think they could actually assemble a decent squad for a lead out. Um, but yeah, it's going to take some uh, 
some training together and some practice, I think, to get it dialed. Also, just culturally there, I mean, it's a team, we talked about direct sportifs, talked about UAE earlier, and they, the fact that UAE don't have a lot of the sort of well, former classics riders who might be able to help current riders to really learn the tricks of the trade as far as classics are concerned same applies to Astana and sprints um okay they've got Stefano Zanini there former classics rider sort of sprinter type rider who I I guess might be working relatively closely with Cavendish I think Cavendish might he might end up working with his old coach from Quickstep um Vasi but you know there's that that question of the sprinting culture and how easy it's going to be to to forge that and to create that. Um, and also just the, the culture in terms of language, it's a really Italian and Russian speaking team. And I think the Russian sort of speaking side of the team, they maybe have a slightly different way of kind of personal interaction or certainly different from what Cavendish will have had at Quick Step. We know, we've seen in the past that he needs to be encouraged. He needs people to... Well, to feed his self-confidence um, rather than question him. And if he's not winning races immediately, what he does not need is to be challenged and to feel as though that confidence in him is seeping away. I would I would suggest that that's key as well. Um, that he certainly feels that they're behind him and at the pro- behind the project now, but he needs to continue to feel that throughout the spring. Brian? I mean, if they hire him and if, for the mainly the sole purpose of, of breaking that record, they'd they better be behind him. But we've also seen the, 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 when he gets frustrated, uh, he'll he'll go on a rant also against the people who go f- were fully behind him. We've seen that even at, at the tour, you know, unhappy, especially with material. Usually it's the material that gets the first part of his his rage. And then uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a challenge in, in that sense. And it's, but I think they have, they have everything to win because it, they, like I said, initially it's a team that has basically dug themselves in, into a hole in the ground, more or less performance wise. So, uh, but there's something else has to give at Astana in general, right? Because uh, how how is he going to place himself within that sort of quite polarized structure that they have, like you mentioned, between the Italian side and the and the Kazakh uh, side? But I think if if I were the only advice you could really give him is that he, he has to look beyond all of that. He has to look past it. He has to focus on that one single thing, which is being putting himself in, in a winning condition and then trying to stay healthy and, and be able to ride the tour at, at, at whatever high level he can reach at, at his age. And let's face it, we're talking about everything falling into place on one particular day. Um, you know, sometimes we have these fairly abstract conversations about whether someone is or isn't good enough and we overlook the fact that it can all hinge on who you're up against, particularly for a sprinter on that particular day. You know, I was reading earlier today about um, Arno Delis, the lotto sprinter, who I think is going to be one of the stars of sprinting in 2023, but he's not going to ride the Tour de France. Um, he's concentrating on other things. So, you know, we saw um, when Cavendish had his great 2021 Tour de France that various other sprinters had issues. Sprinters can can be in the race, but they can have issues on a particular day. We might get to, you know, I think it's the fourth stage of the Tour de France will be the first big opportunity. And, you know, someone will, will get boxed in, another person will get their timing wrong, and it, it only takes one day. And, and, so, and um, think- he'll have, some, sorry, he'll, he'll have so few opportunities. There is, there's not going to be a, a wide bouquet of possibilities for him. Uh, not... Uh, for, 
it's, it's definitely an abundance of options. And, and I think coming back to what Larry said, I, I think he should look I don't think he should count on, on the lead out train to be the key for him to be able to win that stage. I, I, I think that could go horribly wrong if, if that's on that fourth stage, if he lines himself up thinking this lead out train is going to ride me to a winning possibility. You'll, they'll need to position him well, but I highly doubt that that's going to be the one instrumental piece of the puzzle that will make him win that stage. Chaps to France and François Tomazo. My pronostics for 2023 uh, regarding French cycling and French riders is not not gloomy, um, but interesting, intriguing. Uh, obviously, we can still expect to see uh, kind of a revival of the Pinot Bardet era. Well, Romain Bardet last year showed, you know, he, he still got uh, a little bit of it uh, inside of him and it took him time to adjust to his new team and his new approach to cycling. So who knows, you know, you, you could have one of these uh, swan song years from either Pinot or Bardet, or at least we hope uh, it can still happen. I mean, the... Uh, uh, the revival, the, the sudden renaissance of uh, Thibaut Pinot is uh, one of the fantasies of uh, diehard cycling fans. I know that uh, you, Daniel, are one of the these uh, fans who hope for Thibaut to uh, resurrect from uh, his hoods of recent years. But it's pretty, you know, doubtful in many ways. But you know, uh, live and hope. Um, the most interesting thing for me to expect is. Um, I, as I said many times, I think on the podcast, I talked to Yvon Madio a couple of years back about, you know, the uh, young up and coming generation of the 20 somethings uh, still in the show in cycling these days. And he said that even they, the uh, old school of French cycling teams, they had adjusted their approach to uh, this new uh, generation of young uh, teen riders coming and winning Grand Tours. And uh, Yvon Madieu at the time had told me, just wait a couple of years and you'll see the same uh, is coming from France. And um, you you have to admit that what uh, Groupama FDJ have been doing with a Conti team for uh, the last couple of years has been pretty impressive. They've got great, great talent there. And I just mentioned, you know, um, Romain Grégoire and... uh, Lenny Martinez were the two, uh, well, most um, you know um, ambitious and most uh, um, often cited uh, great prospects of uh, French cycling for the future. They're, they're they're turning pro this year with the FDJ uh, team. There are many other names coming up, but I mean they are the two that are the most often mentioned. Grégoire been kind of an all rounder. He won uh, Liège. Uh, in his age category, uh, Lenny Martinez is more of a climber, so in the Godu style. So, will these two make an impression in their first pro year, uh, pro season? We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I'm you know really looking for, forward to to this. I guess the the, the other expectation uh, in the French uh, cycling camp is where you know is whether. David Godu can go one step up and maybe get a Grand Tour podium placing. We all think that, you know, the uh, going higher 
then top three is probably a step too high for Godu. But we'll see. So, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a transition year for French cycling, but an exciting one as well. Um, well, let's uh, let's wait and see. So, Larry, Brian, uh, swan song for Thibaut Pinot and Romain Bardet. Is it coming home? Is Thibaut going to finally bring it home? We talked about the tour being won by so- someone who'd never won it before. Could it be Thibaut? And then... Uh, the other end of the age spectrum are Romain Grégoire and Lenny Martinez at Groupama. Are they going to be the next professional cycling phenoms that some people in France and Francois maybe is suggesting um, they are going to be? Larry? Yeah, um, I mean, I do not see Thibaut Pinot uh, winning the tour. You know, boo, like, boo. <laughs> sorry, yeah, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but like... Uh, I don't know. You know, like, I think he loves riding his bike, but I don't think he's the kind of guy who wants to be doing, you know, uh, 200 days in Tenerife for, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's the thing is like now pro cycling has really changed in the last, uh, you know, 10, 12 years since he turned pro. And I think, you know, to be winning a Tour de France, something like that, you really need to give everything. You need to be living on top of a mountain half the year uh, at altitude and, you know, I think uh, a guy like Bardet, he's doing that and he's fully committed to do that. Um, but I just don't see Pino doing that. I think, you know, I think he'll still be, you know, performing at a high level, but I just don't think he'll do sort of what it takes to be winning uh, those races. And I think he probably has the ability that if he did it like those guys did, uh, like, you know, Vingegaard, things like that, uh, Jumbo. I think he probably could win the Tour de France, but I just don't think uh, he will do that. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I think, <clears throat> I don't know, is Bardet, is it his last year or is he still has another year after this year? He has hinted that he's going to retire in fairly short order. I'm not uh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, but I think he'll do like two more years. I'm pretty sure. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like to see him performing at a high level because he's still, yeah, giving it everything. And um I definitely think these two young French guys are going to smash it. Um, I think those are really guys to look out for for the future. And I really think like if there's going to be a next um, French Grand Tour winner, it's one of those two. Really? Yeah. Uh, Martinez, Martinez is very small, isn't he? Um, he's tiny. Yeah, yeah. Nothing I mean, wrong with being small, but we've seen riders like this before. I mean, he's his dad, in fact, isn't it? Miguel was a mountain Martinez. biker. Yeah, yeah. Right. And he was there was there was a lot of hype around him when he moved over to the road and he got a contract with Mape. But he weighed fifty two. I mean, he basically yeah. he was the same build as Kenny Elizondo. Yeah, exactly. And, and the little one or the little one. This guy he, is like that also. Yeah, yeah. and he's there tired. are there are difficulties inherent in that, aren't there? For sure. Yeah, maybe this more this Roman Gregoire guy, but I I, I think uh, yeah, um, our team was pretty devastated because he was on our junior team actually, um, and then but I guess he lives in Besançon, which is where um, you know FTJ is sort of based out of, um, so it was kind of a natural progression for him to go there. But uh, yeah, you know I know that's something that our team wasn't so so psyched on, uh, and. Yeah, you know, I think they're going to maybe make some changes in the future to try to avoid losing talents like that. Um, so, yeah, but I think that kid's going to crush it. Brian, we're going to move on now to a listener prediction. Now, I, well, we 
posted a tweet before Christmas and we said that the most intriguing question, or sorry, question, most intriguing prediction that we received in time for this episode would receive a signed copy of my Jan Ulrich autobiography. Oh my God, biography. And the best, the best that never was. So... Um, I've been through the predictions again this morning and I think the one that probably offers most food for thought comes from Tom Lockerbie and Tom Lockerbie put this to us. Undaunted by the decidedly mixed reaction to its live golf endeavours, the Saudi sovereign investment fund will seek to enter and disrupt cycling. While Riyadh may not be a cycling hotbed, new developments on the Red Sea are ripe for cycling growth. Look out ASO. Now Tom Lockerbie, I'll be making contact with you. We've had some problems with sending books to people this year, uh, mainly due to Brexit, um, the gift that keeps on giving. But Tom, I will, well, I'm not sure where you are, whether you're in the UK or somewhere else, but we will get you that book at some point in the next few weeks. But Brian, Saudi Arabia, cycling, there's been a couple of bits of news on this front recently. Um, The link up with Movistar, Saudi Federation, and then your old team, now called Jayco Alula, unveiled this week their new name uh, yes um, i mean where do i start it's certainly something that i follow quite intensively because i think it's it's super interesting uh, at, in part but also quite worrying uh, you know we've been especially in the sports media we haven't been talking about a lot other than sports washing in the past month because of the football world cup in qatar uh, there is no way that aso is gonna Move or or in end. I mean, they, I'm I'm saying that because I think that they are they are the one uh, power structure in cycling way more than the UCI. They 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 pull a lot more water than any other institution in cycling, and they're not going to move over for anyone. Uh, and money is not the. Um, Money is not the issue. I think it's, they they just have such a firm grip on everything cycling. And and if you make the direct comparison between uh, the FIFA and the PGA uh, and 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 the, the the center of power in cycling, there's a lot of things that don't add up to to that kind of thing happening. Uh, they would rather, I think, take the the easier route, which is the direct. I mean, I mean the Saudis here, that which is what we've seen also in the past weeks, the direct way by investing in a team. Then I don't think they're going to set up a league. I mean, as you saw with the Live Golf Tournament, it's been absolute shambles. It's been nowhere near what they were looking for. It only caused uh, conflict and probably also a, a, a huge misinvestment on the on their side. I think they'll continue the easier route. I don't think they're going to start a new series. I don't think they have major teams because without them, they wouldn't make any sense you know they are villain are making new initiatives uh, the, the the teams who have uh, a broader sponsorship horizon aren't interested in this kind of disrupt, disruption and without them you don't have the talent you don't have the stars so where they're really going to where they're really going to take that investment it, it's not a question of money it's just a question of what's already established they don't i don't see changing fundamentally even even with their entrance there was a story in Marker yesterday actually talking about this deal between Movistar and the Saudi Cycling Federation. We haven't heard anything to the effect that Saudi Cycling Federation are putting in a lot of money at this point, but Marka speculated yesterday that at some point this even this season, possibly, um, Saudi the Saudi Arabian government could become the a main sponsor of Movistar. Um, certainly a subject I think that we'll be revisiting in 2023. We talked a lot about sports washing in 2022. I had a conversation with a rider recently and, you know, it's no secret that 
This has been a subject of conversation around teams, existing team sponsors in the sport. And this rider was sort of asking me a journalist's point of view on, you know, should he get a question about this? Um, how should he reply? And I didn't really know how to answer that because it's a, a difficult, it's obviously very delicate for a rider who's, who is representing a team um, sponsored by a state or a, a, an entity um, which has been accused of sports washing. But when I went away afterwards, I thought about it. And I think what I should have said to him was that, you know, he should quietly, discreetly try to become as well informed as possible, ask questions, read as much as possible and see if his gut feeling about riding for that team changed um, as a result of, you know, getting the necessary information. Um, I think that's probably the advice that I would I would give riders now, Larry. I guess you've got a lot of colleagues who are in this position, probably have misgivings and reservations um, and don't know to what extent they should be making a stand and taking responsibility on this front. Yeah, you know, I think it's hard because I think, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of guys, they end up on these teams because, like, it's not like they have a whole lot of choices, right? And, uh, you know, if you want to be a pro cyclist, that doesn't mean that you always have your pick of the litter. Um, in terms of teams, not every guy has, you know, 10 offers at the end of uh, every season or every contract. So, um, you know, a lot of guys end up in situations where, like, perhaps if they had more choice they wouldn't um necessarily be there but uh yeah they you know have to look out for themselves and in the end they they end up in situations where you know maybe it isn't you know it doesn't align with their values but uh you know i guess that's a that's a difficult balance to um it's a difficult thing to balance just because you know you want to be a pro cyclist and and uh it's what you've worked your whole life for and um yeah, if it doesn't align politically, then yeah, it's not easy. But uh, I don't really know if there is a good answer there um, because I'm sure some people would say, you know, well, you should hold your values higher than, um, you know, being a pro cyclist. Uh, but other people would say, you know, you, you've got to make a living. So, um, yeah, it's a tough one. I'm just, yeah, I'm lucky that I haven't been in that situation uh, yet. So, so yeah. Chaps, I think we're going to finish on a slightly lighter note. Um, I promised some of our own predictions. We'll fire them off. Um, Larry, you can you can react with, I don't know, tomatoes or confetti or custard pies or whatever. And um, Brian, you've got a few. Just reel a few off for us, if you will, your predictions for 2023. Yeah, I was, I was taking back a little bit because uh, after I, I was expecting you to ask me for predictions, but you also said it can't just be like who's going to win Grand Tours and Monuments. And that, that was actually my, my start off. And uh, my start off would be uh, we're going to see two Danish monument win winners in 23 and, and I predicted to be Mass Peterson and Matthias Gelmose uh, oh. two very different riders but but riders who I've, I mean it's 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 overdue for Mass Peterson to win um, a monument I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would agree himself and I think that one of the big revelations this year was actually Matthias Gelmose and if he continues his development he's going to be extremely competitive in races in such as the Ardennes or or Amstel uh, I think uh, Bernal will go on to win his third Grand Tour but I believe it's going to be the welter uh, if, if he's able to train and put in all the work he's doing now and if he's injury free in the sense that he doesn't have any after effects of that horrific uh, crash of his I think he's going to be tremendously strong at the second part of the season uh, 
I think UCI will reduce the weight limits on bikes, and I think they can do it quite um, unproblematically because there's still such a bottleneck with carbon production, so it's not gonna, <laughs> they're not going to be able to see the effects of it for quite a while. It's been very quiet. Uh, a lot of people probably enjoyed that in the UCI technical department in terms of restricting development, etc. And the last one, uh, most importantly, Daniel, was I think you're going to finally uh, give over and I think you're going to buy yourself a cat. <laughs> I'd love, I'd love to get a cat. Exactly. I can't. I travel too. I travel too much, and I am allergic to cats. Unfortunately, as much as I love them. Um, intriguing, intriguing stuff. Um, I've got a few of my own. Yesterday, I think Brian and I both read this article. Um, an article about something tragic that happened in 2022: the the murder of Mo Wilson, the gravel rider. But the it was an article in the new yorker and it talked a lot about well basically the 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 genesis of the what is now the gravel scene and the sort of culture war between the the gravel the kind of the grassroots gravel scene and professional cycling as we know it that wants to take its piece of the pie i see that kind of culture war ramping up there's a similar thing happening in in ultra running trail running a sport that i partaking at a very low level um you know this year there was a, a kenyan runner won one of the big races the Xiao Zinal trail race and he tested positive for doping and this was kind of a weird sort of coming together merging of two worlds that had kept themselves very deliberately apart the trail races trail racing ultra racing scene has been seen as a, a kind of innocent um world untarnished by some of the vices that have that have really dented the profile of track running track and field but um yeah there's there's more and more incentives in trail racing and i guess we're going to start seeing the same thing in gravel as well um and that's going to cause some issues i think um another big motorsport entity organization is going to get involved in professional road cycling um i well, we've talked about something in this podcast which speaks to this i'm not going to say what it was i maybe dropped a few hints about this a, a clue earlier on in the podcast but some a big sort of motor racing stable is going to get involved in professional cycling and that might influence the way the world tour looks over the next few years there's going to be a huge mid-season or end of season transfer um We've talked a lot in recent months about these very long contracts that some of the riders in the World Tour are getting. We've got, you know, likes of even Joao Almeida contract up in 2026, Pogacar 2027, Bernal 2026, Roglic 2025, Mass 25, Ayuso 28, Pidcock 27. One of those chaps will not be, will find themselves unsatisfied with the way things are going in their current team and they will seek to get out of their contract and they will succeed i think in 2023 and that'll probably open up a big debate about transfers and maybe change the way we think about transfers in cycling um, another pogacar ayuso style phenomenon will emerge or will start to win races at the very highest level so i'm talking about someone who's maybe 19 20 21 it could be sian uterbrooks the belgian rider who's um, at bora Hans Grower, he won the Tour de Lavenir last year. He's 20, turns 20 at the end of February. Could be him. Could be Norwegian riding for Jumbo Visma, Stauner Mittert. Um, also had some good results last year. Big breakthrough rider, Italian rider, Andrea Piccolo. 
he started to really emerge at the end of last year. He's, I think he's only 20 or 21. I think he'll have a really good season. And the Netflix series about last year's Tour de France, that's going to come out at some point before this year's Tour de France. It's going to be a smash hit. I've heard, spoken to a few people who have been involved in that or filmed for it. And they seem to think that the material is going to be really quite something. Um, and that might change quite a lot in professional cycling if it has the same impact as Drive to Survive in Formula One. Magnus Sheffield will win a monument. He's going to be one of the big stars in professional cycling and that's going to become clear this year. Another one, Arno Delis, uh, Lotto Sprinter. Are they called, what are they called this year, Larry? Help me out. Oh, the bull or something. What was it? <laughs> uh, we will get this right, but in time for next week's podcast, I will know what Lotto is. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Oh, I thought it was um, he, nickname of Arno Delis. Uh, okay, no, sorry. No, no. Isn't it Destiny something? The full team name. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. He's going to win Milan San Remo. Oh, wow. Larry, any thoughts, um, anything you've got for us yourself? Yeah, you know, uh, my uh, my predictions were a lot less exciting than you guys. Uh, I actually really liked the bike weight one, which is, well, it's not good for me because my bike's not even at the weight limit. But um, I think that's kind of interesting. And to be honest, the only um, prediction that I had you also kind of referenced it was I think this Netflix thing is going to be really big and the one thing I think that's going to do is create a really big resurgence in the US um, you know I think uh, in in F1 you know like F1 didn't really exist in the US um, at least in a general public lens um, until recently and thanks to Drive to Survive now everyone and their brother is like this huge F1 fan which is funny because they didn't even know it was a sport um, maybe five years ago um, but I, I think that's going to really make cycling grow in the U.S. again. And I think we're going to see, um, yeah, a return of some of the U.S. Um, races after that. I think that's going to have a really big impact on our sport. And yeah, I hope it's, yeah, makes a big turn for the better. Uh, so we'll see. But to be honest, that was my only real prediction. I thought that Magus Sheffield would win a big race this year. Um, and yeah, and then, yeah, I'm just my, I thought Primoz was going to win the Giro. But I do like these outside of race result predictions <laughs> big year for for the, the motown maestro larry uh, warbass so. gonna win in 2020 yeah i like the the one guy on twitter who said i was gonna win a grand tour stage uh we'll <laughs> we'll we'll stick with that win a stage of the giro i can i can definitely see that happening yeah well chaps uh well a lot for us to look forward to in the coming months um over the next couple of weeks we're gonna have more podcasts i think next week um i had a long conversation before christmas with rolf aldag who is kind of heading up bora's attempts efforts to do battle with ineos uae and jumbo visma the the grand tour super teams rolf and i spoke about a lot about that and about what they are hoping to achieve in 2023 so i think we'll release that next week and then pretty soon we'll be into the normal swing of racing and race analysis with various guests but that's all to look forward to and uh, larry plans for new year's eve any plans uh yeah eve? well i'm gonna just be getting back to nice on new year's eve so hopefully i'll uh, be able to stay up uh, to go to a party with my girlfriend so um, not exactly sure where, but uh, but yeah, strolling I'll be down the, the promenade des Anglais with a you know sweater over your shoulder, I can exactly, just you know exactly. some red chinos. Yeah, <laughs> I can perfect. Red Brian? chinos. 
Oh, it's just some, just a quiet evening. Maybe some Vince's champagne. Nothing special. Oh God, <laughs> with your cat, you and your cat, and a bottle of Vince's champagne. Quintessential Nygaard. Well, on that note, chaps, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna disclose any of my plans for New Year's Eve. But just it's, gonna go for a run, aren't you? Some Berlin like, Underground yeah, Club go. or something. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'll be standing in the queue for Berghain. Um But we'll be hearing from both of you very soon, and I'm gonna thank you for your input today. And um, yeah, look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're like going to make shorter episodes now. That was pretty funny. I was like, maybe that was the resolution for 2023. And we're just going to indulge ourselves for the end of 2022. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore. Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney.